Welcome back to another episode of Shorts and Goggles podcast, RJ and Kevin. Uh, back here a little bit later than we usually do. We did try to record on Monday, but uh, fortunately ran into some uh, technical difficulties. Kevin would be in the middle of a very well thought out stance on how defenses or offense has influenced defense in the bubble. And then he would just freeze mid conversation and we would lose the feed. So we're back here on Thursday. We have a lot of stuff to get caught up on. We're recording right now in the middle of the Lakers Rockets game where the Lakers are up uh, 16 at the half in game four against the Rockets. Kev, where do we even start? First off, how are you doing? But more importantly, where do we even start? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I'm nervous to give my take on the evolution of defense in the, in the, um, as a response to the five out offense, because I don't want us, I don't want us to shut down again. Yeah, but we have we have a lot of ground to cover. So I think our 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 keys to the game, if you will, there we go. I think if I think if we if we run a seven seconds or less type of offense and we get a good pacing down, I think we can cover all the stuff that we need. Just get a lot of shots up. That's the name of the game. Yep. So we'll go ahead and go back all the way to the last time that we recorded, which was in the middle of Game Seven of the Nuggets Jazz. Was that the game? Yeah, that was the game. Nuggets Jazz. Um, so that felt like a lifetime ago already. Yes. But we're going to just quickly run through that. So more of the story was, like we predicted, going into that playoff series, Nuggets just have too much firepower. Even in Game 7 where Donovan Mitchell is leading a comeback in the fourth quarter, ultimately Nuggets just had more people that could put the ball in the basket and Utah did not. Thoughts? You said it. Um I think as I'm getting more distance away from that, the and you, you, you get less involved with the nitty gritty and just kind of like what's the lasting thing about it. Um, you, you just got to be excited about the, the future of, of both those franchises. And I am really excited for what will now potentially be like a, a cool little rivalry between Utah and, and Denver. Um, and then – we we should talk more about Jamal Murray if we need to the about like where he has exceeded our expectations that's where a decent amount of our uh our takes were yesterday I think we or not yesterday but last time last episode we apologized to Jamal Murray uh how do we going forward because now we're like almost an entire series moved now (laughs) seriously yeah how do how do we feel about Jamal Murray now? Like now that we've basically gone, we've seen him now in two playoff series as opposed to just the one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when's another time we did that with a player like him, where we used the playoffs to just kind of have too high of expectations for him. I'm trying to think who in recent memory would fit that mold. I'm sure there's a guy out there, maybe like in a contract year or something like that, that balled out in the playoffs, and then we thought he was maybe a little bit better than what he was. So I think that's kind of where Jamal was creeping towards. But then I think this series against the Clippers is kind of getting him back more into fringe fringe all-star guy. Could be an all-star within the next few years. Right. Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray? Donovan Mitchell. I'll take Jamal Murray. Go Cavs. All right, fair enough. Yep. What's your uh, – so the game seven that happened the next night was much more exciting. I forgot to mention that the Jazz Nuggets <laughs> game was an absolute rock fight, similar to the 2010 game seven finals. But, it was. Um, 
game seven of the Rockets and Thunder series, much more entertaining. Kevin, what was your Sparknotes version of that series? Uh, my Sparknotes version of that was that it was Chris Paul going extra. He was, he was, he was kind of being a little too extra at the end. And that was with the, his final turnover at the end, the one that where Westbrook steals the ball. Mm-hmm. Westbrook with a really heady defensive play. And Chris Paul makes a turnover that he'd take back every single time. Um, the Rockets there at the – again, this is another series where I'm looking at it from a distance now. And you know, at the time, you and I were talking about, well, it's the Rockets learning how to win ugly. Mm. Maybe this is like a moment of growth for them. Um, now I'm just concerned that they're just not good. Yeah. Well, yeah, when we saw in that game seven, so, so you were calling that play by Westbrook, a Chris Paul turnover. Yeah. It actually wasn't a turnover. It was resulted in, well, it did result in a turnover, but it was the Harden block on, uh, on Lou Dort who turned into fucking Reggie Miller. Yes. yes, During that game seven. Uh, but, I mean, it might as well have been a turnover because Chris Paul was overthinking the situation and just not making the right play. Uh, so I agree with you on that. And then James Harden honestly got away with one of the worst. Like, if they would have lost that game, that would have been pretty pretty bad for his already stained reputation. You know, James Seven, uh, his history of just playing poorly in those elimination games. I think he only had like 15 or so points or something. It like was not a lot. We might've gotten up to 20, but it was a, a rough shooting night and it was Robert Coverton and Eric Gordon who scared the hell out of me. The first game, first two games for the Lakers um, coming through and, and playing pretty well for them. That got them over top. But as we'll talk about with the Lakers series, you know, the Rockets just aren't that good. I would be interested, put this on our schedule sometime in like, November, October, when we get into like the off season, um, us doing another, maybe like a, it's almost like a continuation of our deep dive with Mike D'Antoni's teams mm. or like a, a follow up on, you know, we did the book, the book pod with seven seconds or less. Um, how is his now has a tenure with the Rockets, probably just as long as his tenure with the Suns. that if, you know, yeah. how, how's the part two of his career or part, whatever, looking at it how do we how are we going to look at d'antoni as a coach but as much i we were joking before we recorded like are we burying the rockets let's 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 wait till the zombie's dead before we do a post-op on Mm -hmm. the career of mike d'antoni yeah even though they're the lakers are currently up 16 at the half like there's no team more terrifying and deficit than the rockets and they showed that at game two and almost fucked around and won that game so Yep. Not counting them out quite yet. So, no. okay, so I'm trying to keep track of my timeline now. So, <laughs> game sevens are good. We're moving on to the semifinal round for yes. all parts involved. Kevin, do you want to take your victory lap now or later on the Miami Heat? Oh, I let's let's take it later. Not that I have a, um, a too much to say besides just smiling broadly into the zoom camera that only you can see. Um, <laughs> I, I have some quotes. I just, we're talking about the Rockets and Lakers and the game that's on right now. Yeah. We going um, to talk about that. If yeah. we can go continuing with that. I have some, I, I, I had some stuff ready for Monday that I thought was interesting and almost like a precursor to 
um, some of these Rockets performances that we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. Daniel House excluded. More on that in a second. <laughs> More on that. Put a pin <laughs> in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is Westbrook, a quote. Right now I'm just running around, Westbrook said, following the Rockets 117-109 loss to the Lakers. <laughs> I've got to look at film and figure out how to be effective. Um, I, 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 that was a red flag for me, where right now I'm just running around. And if if if... That may be, maybe Westbrook just stumbled on the the thesis statement for Dan Tony's offense in Houston. Possibly. I mean, I feel like that was a really interesting moment of self-awareness from him. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Where he's like, yeah. you know what, man, actually I don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> like, I'm just kind of playing. I'm and, uh, I mean, if you watched, yeah, game two, I mean, even the difference between game two and game three, for most of game three, he, I didn't even – most of the game two, I would say he was playing or no, 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 sorry. Game three. Yeah. It was game three. He was playing pretty effective for three quarters. I would say like he was hitting his mid range jumpers. He was getting to his spots. He definitely looked a little less running around me, I guess, if you want to put it like that. Yeah. Um, definitely a cause of concern though, when your number two star is basically admitting, I'm not really sure what the plan is right now. Yeah. I'm not sure what my role is. And in whatever situation you're in and great teams at the, everyone has a clear role and everyone knows yeah. what they're supposed to do. So Westbrook kind of just running around that that's a red flag. And then, you know, we got to give your, your Lakers some credit here. I have, I have this note from earlier this week. So the Lakers rebounded from a 15 point loss in the series opener by reestablishing their identity, hosting advantages over Houston on the glass in transition points and points in the paint. They almost, in, um, in that rebound game, uh, game three, I think this is referring to, where they go 54 points to 26 points in the paint there mm. and winning the rebound battle as well. So, look, it, for, for the Lakers, the, is it fair to say, Lakers fan RJ Liggins, that the most important player on their team is Davis and not LeBron? For this series, yeah, for, for sure. this series specifically, yeah. for this series for sure. Although LeBron last game in the first half, he so okay. I'll put it this way: LeBron is different. LeBron is the most important player on the defensive end for the Lakers. So take last game for example, where he comes out and has thirty, like twenty nine, thirty nine in the first half, and then I think he only scores like two or three more times in the second half, but really where the difference was for him was like his energy on defense. Like he was moving around, rotating much better than he was in the first half and like really helped spark um, the Lakers running away with the game, not through his offense, but through his defense. And that was, that was the turning point for the Lakers was when they basically, they threw multiple different looks at, at James Harden and the Rockets. Uh, They started just staying at home on their shooters, which I thought was the right move to make. Like, if James Harden wants to drive to the cup, like, kind of let him. Like, you know, I'd rather have him getting two points or, you know, shooting free throws than them just bomb away threes like they did in game one. And then, you know, they would mix it up with trapping him too. And, you know, in order to pull that off, you need LeBron actually active and engaged on defense versus what he would usually do, especially, like, in the regular season, which is watch the guy – watch the ball get swung to his guy in the corner – and then yell at Caruso for not rotating over to his guy. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. So he's the most important player 
on defense for them. Anthony Davis is always going to do what he does on defense, so you don't need to worry about him. But on offense is definitely Anthony Davis, and then their bench unit is the second most important part of that equation. Yeah, and so in this current game, time stamping at six minutes left in the third, Lakers up 72-53. Davis, <sighs> Davis already – You should say that yeah, again real quick. <laughs> yeah, 72-53. Oh, inject that uh, in my veins. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The – Anthony Davis, 5 of 10 from the field, 17 points there. Um, love to see it. You, you, it's, it's, something, it's something that you love to see. LeBron, LeBron 10.6 dimes, both of them already in double figures rebounding. Just cleaning, cleaning up the glass again. I'll be, we'll, do, we'll do more talk when we get to our um, inevitable Battle of L.A. preview yeah. or like early analysis of that because that'll be, that'll be a fascinating matchup with these, with these two teams that – kind of mirror each other in in, mm-hmm. a, in a number of different ways or at the very least have an appropriate counter punch to each team's strength i would agree with that that's gonna be really interesting mm-hmm. um yeah curious to see kind of how this use of flame out goes what the reaction will be i know there's some talks that they lost at thunder more is gonna get canned sounds like yeah, tony is out no matter what yeah uh there's a lot of a lot of question marks on that team right now so interesting to see how it plays off uh clippers nuggets i mean we we expected the nuggets or whoever came out of that series to just get the fucking church doors blown off of them but nuggets showed a little bit of fight they are they are showing fight they're 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 bringing in the momentum to it and their defense I have this note down there. Denver's defense led to easier offense as the Nuggets went 17 to 24 from the field in the, in the first quarter of game two. Yeah. And had that's 11 why they fa- blew them out, right? Yep. Or the blowout oh, game blow. out. But yeah. Yeah. Well, they got off. What they score like over 40 in the first, in the first quarter. They were kicking the shit out of them for the first half. Yeah. Yeah. And they had 11. So an 11 fast break points mm. that like they're just, they're getting, they're getting out and, and get and getting those turnovers. So, that was a, I think a, a surprising moment there from us to see the Nuggets capitalizing on Clippers' mistakes like that. I still think of these Clippers as because they are they are a veteran team. That's a bunch yeah. of guys who have been well traveled and had different careers together. This is the like, conundrum. Who's the, those who's the least experienced team. person on that team is Shamit, and he's like what two years in the league, three years in the league. Yeah, they're not rocking. Everybody else has been in the league for a while. For a like while, a minute, yeah. And that—that's one of the reasons why we really like them as a as a pick going into it is the the veteran team, the veteran coach, yada yada, all that. Um, it's just it. So it's it's surprising to see the Clippers do that. Um, is it, it though? <laughs> well, okay. Talk to me about it. talk to me about that. I mean, this is just what they've done all season. Like, they, yeah. So go on. So they came out of game one and handled business. Like, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They took advantage of a team that was absolutely worn out from the series before. And we knew yes. Denver had no gas whatsoever. And they, no they kicked the shit out of them. Yep. Right? And then, look, I mean, I kind of expected Denver to just kind of roll over and this was going to be a sweep too. So Denver, credit Denver. They came out and they played a hell of a game in game two. Yes. But if you're the Clippers, like that, it, it's just not shocking that that happened to them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it, it'd be the same thing for the Lakers, honestly. If the Lakers just like blew a team out and then laid an egg the next game just because like their energy wasn't where it needed to be, like 
I wouldn't be stunned. Now, the Lakers are more consistent, at least, or starting to get more consistent than the Clippers have been. But, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do, though, with the Clippers. They, I don't think they had a set, like, rotation, like, at any point this year where they have all their guys playing at the same time, whether it's injuries or load management or chicken wings or whatever the fuck. Like, you know, there's always something that's yes. keeping it so that this whole unit can't play together. So I think that plays a part of it. But I think, I mean, I don't know if you they, – they're taking care of business now. And I think Denver had their best shot in game three to really make it into an interesting series. But the Clippers did what they needed to do down the stretch to, to handle business. Kawhi had that crazy block. Uh, where he blocked the ball with his middle finger on Jamal Murray. Yes. And that's just Kawhi doing Kawhi stuff. You know, as you said before we started recording, it's not Burberry. Stupid. It's it's New Balance. balance. (laughs) So um, that was Denver's best shot to make it a series. If they win that game, totally different story. But I think Denver's severely on the ropes. Probably probably not going to be around for too much longer. I mean, I'm getting a sense this is the first time in weeks that we've done these. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, I, this is the most, this is the best I've seen you feel about. Yes, I feel great. The Lakers going for it. Yes, <laughs> I feel this, is, great. this is clearly the best. Yes. I, you're, <laughs> you are, <laughs> you are groaning with pleasure at the score of the Lakers Rockets game and yes. you are throwing shade at the Clippers. You, yep are in a good place right now. I'm the full-blown full Laker fan right now. It's unapologetic, and I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm, I'm going to talk my shit until we start losing again, and I'll start making excuses. So, yep, on brand, baby. But, I mean, the Rockets scared the shit out of me. That's why. Like, I was, yeah. especially after that game one, like, I was concerned. I think I texted mm-hmm. you, like, yes. all throughout that game. I'm just like, I'm, I'm worried. I'm really concerned. Yes. Okay, I'm over this. And there's, like, still, like, five minutes left in the game. Uh-huh. So, yes, I feel much better about where things are for the Lakers, uh, especially now that uh, Rondo has given them a bench identity. And that was what really worried me. It was like they just don't have any identity outside of LeBron and AD. And to an extent, they still really don't. But, like, I mean, you're seeing Kuzma playing really well now. Rondo balled out last game. Um, and you just need – even KCP's not getting on my nerves now, which is – that's amazing. So He will. I, I don't doubt it. I don't <laughs> doubt it. But <laughs> um, we, I, we had said, and you know, the, a bit of hyperbole here, but we were like, Anthony Davis and LeBron need to score eighty. Yeah, which I mean, they're, uh, they're averaging like sixty-five or something. Which like is now. which is way too high. But like, yeah, yeah, sixty-five is more an appropriate number, right? Like, if yeah. they're unless. Unless, because again, let me go. Let me go. This box score just may, give you good feelings. Oh, seventy six fifty nine, Lakers. With Davis already has twenty one. I love it. <laughs> love LeBron it. has ten, but this game this game is interesting. It's a much more spread out one. Now, granted, they have a big lead, so they're probably whatever, like getting showing more love. But Danny Green appearing. A, Dan- a wild Danny Green sighting. Has oh my appeared. goodness! Oh my gosh! I haven't seen that wow. guy in weeks. <laughs> so if you get if you get if you get Danny Green back, or like if you get, if you get championship Danny Green, we're get, good. Yeah, we're we're yeah, solid. You're great. 
that that that's huge. But playoff Rondo has you, if you get championship Danny Green with playoff Rondo, mm-hmm. they have like those are two guys with known like just saying their name in the context of a of a championship game they, or a championship they make series. Shit happen. Yeah, yeah, strikes fear in the opponent. They but, make shit happen. Um. Before we move over to the the Eastern Conference, do you want to introduce the people to our new favorite segment or America's <laughs> new favorite segment? I would love to. I would love to. And uh, this this so this segment's born out of a just a running dialogue we have with with our man T Root. Shout out to Tyler Reuter. Our intern uh, Tyler. Yep. <laughs> our inter, He's our he's our intern slash um, stats guy <laughs> slash stats guy slash. Um, Instagram coaching model, um, all, all these things. And he is a huge Philadelphia 76ers fan, which again, for we, we should ask him again, specifically why that is. I, I bet it's an AI thing. It's an AI thing. I'm we are people sure. of a certain age. So it's yeah, probably an AI. I think he's an AI guy. That's why. Yeah, it's a, probably an AI thing. But huge Sixers fan and just has unfortunately – ridden the roller coaster of the process the for for years now and he's had to deal with as i declared the process being dead but i wanted i wanted to honor him and i want to get some sixers voice in here so this is a segment called 76 seconds on the 76ers and we're going to ask tyler for a take maybe we'll get tyler on here sometimes i'm he, he's getting back into the, te- the teacher life so i know time is precious but the we, we're going to ask Tyler for a take every week on the 76ers just to get some 76ers content in there. Um, I'll read it. So, RJ, my plan is I'm going to read this, mm-hmm. and then we'll attempt to spend 76 seconds on it. I'll set the clock. Does that Ooh, seem fair to you? I like it. Yeah, it was like a PTI okay. vibe. I like it. Yeah, and this is exciting. This, is a, this might be our first segment. Look at us with the segment. Look at us. So, first ever 76 seconds on the 76ers. Our prompt is this. The 76ers need to hire Becky Hammond. There, I said it. If the roster is staying mostly intact, then only a major change to the culture and locker room can resurrect the Sixers team. Having an extremely well-qualified head coach breaking new barriers will help to more readily identify who is bought in and who isn't. The Sixers provide a challenging social dynamic for any coach, but I have no doubt that Hammond has built up plenty of resiliency over the years and most of all has the ability to connect with her players. I'm confident her knowledge of the game and ability to scout and develop rosters is well above most coaches because of how high up in the coaching ladder she has climbed, despite routinely being discredited as a female in the NBA. So that's our talking point prompt from Tyler. I'm going to set the clock. Let me get my will on real quick. (sighs) 76 seconds. Ready, set. Why don't we start with you, RJ? Go. Okay. Really well thought out take. I really appreciated all the ways that you pointed out that Becky Hammond is as qualified, if not more qualified, than a lot of these knuckleheads are coaching NBA teams right now. Shout out to you, Ty. With that said, I love Becky Hammond, and I do not wish that evil on her, trying to figure out the mess that's going on in Philadelphia. They have so many issues with their roster, their two stars, just their entire culture right now. I do not wish that evil on her. Becky deserves better. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, when I read the part that Tyler said about if no roster changes are happening, I almost threw up in my mouth. How, <laughs> how, how the hell are they not going to make a roster change? And, and 
I think that throwing anyone into that situation um, would be very, would be very challenging. I wish I also wish a better spot for Becky Hammond. I agree with Tyler's assessment that she almost certainly is more qualified than many other people who um, would be seeking job offers this time. Um, also, that'd be an interesting little note that isn't Brett Brown also from the, the Spurs Street? That is correct. Yes, he is. <laughs> so that, that's kind of interesting if they were to go with Becky Hammond. Just keep pulling out the pop tree. <laughs> give Becky a job, but don't put her in Philly for Becky's sake. And give her the Rockets job when it opens up. That'd be much better. Mm, that, ladies and gentlemen, is 76 seconds on the 76ers. Oh, I like that. I'll definitely – yeah, I can get behind that. I like that. That was fun. So I think we could even before we get – further into the Easter conference side of things, I think this would be a good time to just segue into other coaching news. Steve Nash going to the Brooklyn Nets. A lot of conversation since that hiring. Um, so Kev, what's your, what's your initial take and, and thoughts with Steve Nash joining that organization as a head coach? Well, I'm, I, and of so many different minds with this hire and just the more that I read about it, the more I think this is like, it's such a larger conversation. Right. And so one of, one of the first things that I thought of um, and immediately agreed with upon hearing Stephen A. Smith talk about it earlier this week was just was talking about um, he was, he was talking about like the system, the systematic nature of like for an MBA job, having an un a, 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 a former player with no coaching experience taking a championship level job has not happened to a black candidate before. And Stephen A, I think, and I agree with him pointing that out that um, that's emblematic of societal systematic issues within the thing. Stephen A has talked a lot this week about like meaning I have love for Steve Nash. I have, um, I think Steve Nash will be, will probably be a really good coach. Like the issue is not necessarily with Steve Nash and, but it's just, it's more about the the principle of the thing. And I think he's, he's right to point out the difference between like um, Derek Fisher getting the Knicks job. I, I saw that comp thrown out about like, you know, Derek, Derek, well, what about Derek Fisher? What about, what about Jason Kidd? It's a, it's, it's about the profile of the job. It's about the, the Nets, who with a healthy Kevin Durant back, all, already entering an Eastern Conference and having a puncher's chance at at making the finals, really without doing anything. So to 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 give Steve Nash that position is eye opening to say the least. I think emblematic of major systemic change that needs to happen. I heard a different take about that from uh, Jay Williams from. Uh, on, on ESPN also and he was he, he his um I don't know I don't know, like lens or paradigm that he was looking at this coaching hire with was that it was in in fact an, an example of black empowerment because it was more or less Durant and Kyrie making the decision to do that um and I, I found that interesting right I found I found that I found that interesting but I don't know how different that is than the last X many years of coaches or sorry, best players having major influence in, in coaching hires. So I don't know if that's all that mm. new. 
Um, I think I think I still go and still align with Stephen A's stance of this being a, a representation of larger issue, and quite frankly, larger issue in sports regarding um, not just having like um, the the movement from black assistants to black head coaches across major major sports, pro sports, um, seems to be a big gulf that we haven't crossed in a long, long time or improved on. Yeah. I see it, excuse me. I see it in a couple of different ways. Like I, I like how you presented the two arguments as far as like the, the, the systematic issue at hand and then the black empowerment part of it. My takeaways from the hiring was first off, I was just shocked that Nash was even considering a head coaching job. Didn't know that. But it made sense just with Durant's relationship with him in Golden State and the time they spent in Golden State. So, like, those pieces added up for me. When, right. I, heard, when I heard Stephen A's take, like, I think the reason why a lot of people felt a certain way about it was because they thought it was about Steve directly. And it's like, it's not – it was not a Steve Nash take. What it was was it was trying to point out something that's larger that's going on, and especially during a time when the NBA is trying to emphasize – those issues that are going on throughout the country it's just not a good look to pass up these black assistants that have the experience have the um what's the word like reputation within the league uh in order for this unproven unproven coach you know and and he's what he's getting at is more of a larger conversation and he was just kind of using nash's situation to to like basically put a platform on it right right so he's not saying this is nash's fault and i do think like it put nash in this kind of weird position too because now because nash is like as cool as as a motherfucker as there's ever been and he is he's like as open and you know caring and as as any like anybody in the world so you know there's not like a bad bone in his body but like now you putting him kind of in this weird spot um with that said, there is a very long history of of head coaches getting jobs straight from pro careers without any experience, particularly point guards. Um, and you know, a two time MVP that is known for in like being the conductor for one of the most high powered offenses in the league. When you have Katie and Kevin Durant, like for it makes sense from a hiring standpoint, but. The issue itself, I think, is what Stephen A's argument is trying to shine light on, especially when you got, like, your Sam Cassells out there, your uh, Mike Browns, your um, Ty Lues. There's, there's like, a ha- even the Becky Hammonds and, like, the right. Nancy Liebermans, um, they're, they're in that group as well. So what he's pointing out is, and I think where he could have really extended this, or this, this point he's trying to make is that, not only is there a fast track for for white people with less experience to get that head coaching opportunity, but there's also a shorter leash for the black and female coaches if they are put in that position. So it's like, you know, uh, Brian Shaw, I think, is a good example of this where he coached in Denver for like, what, two seasons yeah. and has been an assistant ever since. And he got fired years ago, right? Um same sort of deal with like Ty. I mean, Ty Lue could get a head coaching job tomorrow if he wanted to, but like 
same sort of deal. It's not like it's, it's different for these, even Nate McMillan, I think he got let go from a few jobs. I think like Portland and then had to be an assistant somewhere for a little bit and then got another head coaching job. Mo yeah. Cheeks, same deal. Like uh, Mo Cheeks only suddenly had two head coaching jobs and he's been pretty bad at, at both of them. So, I mean, right. that is what it is, but it's like, there's just a lot shorter leash for those black coaches. Whereas the white coaches get a little bit more leeway. Um, and, and so that's like, it's just kind of like the sandwich of like, you got the fast track that isn't fair to the black coaches. And then you got also the shorter leash once they do have those opportunities. So I think it's just, it's just a lot of frustration that yeah. Stephen A is coming from with that take. And he is right to call out the NBA for making this kind of decision during this specific time when they are trying to advocate for, for black people to get those kind of opportunities. Yeah. Well said. I just to add on, I think it's, it's that it's the club. It's like, if if you think of it, it's like the head coach, the head coaching club. And I use talking about Mo Cheeks and Nate McMillan, um, like they're in the club, right? Mm -hmm. Once they like, you've had a head coaching job. So like they, um, the likelihood of them getting different coaching offers or new coaching offers is, is much higher because they've had one already, but uh, it just, it seems like the entrance process um, into, into the club, into the head, into the head coaching club. is just so, so much, so much more difficult across, across all sports, uh, mm -hmm. across all the, pro, all the pro sports. If you look at them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even uh, Monty Williams, I think he had to, after the Pelicans job, I think he had to be an assistant on OKC for a little bit before getting the Suns job. So, yep. and it's just like for a lot of the white coaches in the NBA, that's not the route. That's not the road they have to take. They just go from one head coaching job to another job. And so what mm -hmm. you said, this is something that's prevalent in, in sports across the country. Yep. Yep. With that said, the Nets, if everybody stays healthy and Nash can actually figure out this coaching thing, that's, that's a scary, op that's a scary proposition right there. Uh, Steve Nash has a, uh, I, it would not surprise me if he wins like a coach of the year at some point. Like he's, he's brilliant. He's analytical. He's thoughtful. He's empathetic. He's all the things that you said. Mm -hmm. He has check, 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 check. Like Steve Nash is what I'm going to say will be. A, he's basically a, Steve Kerr, but if Steve Kerr was fucking filthy. Yes. Like, yeah. As a player. Like, Correct. That's what it is, man. Yep. So speaking of the Eastern Conference, I'll let you – this is the, the part where I'll clear out. You you can get your victory lap in on the Milwaukee Bucks, who showed some fight towards the end. But they did. ultimately, man, uh, not that close of a series. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you go first, and then we'll, we'll kind of hash this out a little more. Well, and I – what I don't want to be lost on this is that the Heat with – while playing against Giannis, mm -hmm. we're getting it. They want three sure games, yeah. And I, if I don't know, like if you picked up on this RJ too, like it, the Miami Heat just plays. They played such better basketball than the Milwaukee Bucks did. Like you, you don't have to look that inside the numbers, and you can just really kind of use your eyes sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like so, like. Sometimes it's old school and you, and you look and you and I talk about like momentum and we talk about camaraderie and we talk about bench and we talk about those things that all matter to the two of us. And when you watch Miami heat possessions, 
and I was watching Milwaukee possessions. If you had blind taste test, I would have thought the Miami Heat were the number one seed because yeah. of, and not obviously like they were making shots, but they were better shots. They were shot. They were shots that came off of like designed action. They were shots that came off of multiple passes on a possession. Um, they were shots that came off of guys executing. And then whereas Milwaukee got into this weird thing where like so much in, in, I, Rosillo, there's my ringer shout out. This, I waited until, <laughs> until I made one, but I didn't want to do it in the first 10 minutes. But Rosillo made a point that was like, this is Giannis, don't overreact. Like Giannis will be fine. And like, he'll probably almost certainly will still get a title like here in the near future. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's at the, he's at the stage, much like Jordan was and much like Kobe and like all these things, like they, where the guys around him are all kind of like, what everything, Giannis does something first and then we'll react off that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which and then you you were texting me when Giannis was not playing and we were like LOL Ewing theory like oh yeah <laughs> but, but yeah, and, and obviously that, yeah. no it like we both were joking and that's not going to be the case but there was a kernel in truth in what you were saying and mm-hmm. that was it kind of liberated playing, everybody else yes, on the floor yes yep. they were playing better team basketball about that so I don't know what to do there is that a is that a coach Bud thing. Is that a guys need to learn how to play with Giannis thing, but they also won the most games in the season. So mm. they, they can play with Giannis. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. I think yeah. you pointed out that Miami just played a better brand of basketball. And I would yes. say of all the teams in the bubble still, like they're the ones that are playing at like the highest level. Absolutely. This, this was pointing out, pointed out to me on the, the telecast, but um, like take Miami and the Rockets. So they're the, the type of team where their role players can kill you. Right. And they're all there. Everybody on the floor is a weapon in some degree. Right. The difference between the Rockets and the heat though, is that the Rockets, the ball moves around. Right. But people are standing around. But the ball moves. You watch any Rockets game, the, the ball will kind of zip back and forth a couple times. This is where the Lakers got screwed up with their rotations because they're chasing the ball instead of trying to, to chase the people. People yeah. were just standing there, though. Miami's different. Miami moves more than any other team in the NBA as far as, like, players physically moving and cutting yes. and slashing and screening and rolling and yep. backdoor cutting. And they do everything. They move at – like way more and that's what makes them dangerous because like everybody on the floor for them is a weapon like everybody like kelly alick could come in off the bench and drop 20 on you like yeah. and, it's, and it's not crazy no. you know what i'm saying the bucks they they it was weird because like when they had just middleton right it's like you were saying you started to see other guys step up saw yes. other guys starting to make shots more um, and they, I felt like they were moving more and the ball was moving more. And I don't know if it's a Coach Bud thing or a roster thing. Like, I don't really think it was – well, the Bucks, the Bucks roster was good. But, I mean, like, if, if you took the Bucks roster versus the Heat roster, like, which one would you go with? Miami. Yeah. Like, the Miami just has way more guys that can do way more things for you. Yeah. So, I think, like, like Milwaukee was low-key only about, like, four players deep or so. Like, mm-hmm. and then, so that's like Giannis Middleton, like Brooke Lopez, and then like baby George Hill, you know what I'm saying? Like, so not, a, not as many options as you would think for that team. 
Um, and so, yeah, you. Do, I mean, it always helps to have better, more qualified role players. But I do think a lot of it is system too. Like, yeah. you know, like how where, where are you putting Giannis on the floor so that he can be successful? Like the Bucks are dangerous in transition, but if the other team is scoring, then they can't get up and down and run. And that's what they ran into with Miami. Because Miami is shooting the living piss out of the ball. So now, like that whole transition game is taken taken out. Now you're in a half court set where Giannis isn't quite as effective yet, but it's also like you'll have him at the top of the key. It's like, why? Like, you know, he's not going to shoot threes or anything like that. It's like, what is the harm in putting him on the block and having him create out of the post? You know, and that's something like, I'm wondering, this is now that we brought up post play in the last couple pods here. Yeah. Which, which, which is great. We love it. Um, love it. And I, I do wonder if you're going to get the, like, the boomerang effect back to some post-play, like, in the next mm-hmm. little bit. Just just out of, like, get those easy get, – get some easy buckets for you, especially as, especially as teams become better at defending the three. The, get, get those easy buckets. Get, get Giannis on the block. Get Embiid on the block. It, like, it, it – there's some I like little adju- little adjustments that that are not in vogue right now, but probably probably should be. Yeah, I think it's teams taking advantage of where the offense has shifted to. Yeah. Like, so we kind of briefly talked about this on Monday, but it's like the because of the five out defenses have to adjust and, yep. and figure out ways to make life harder for the offense because. Basically, you can't touch anybody, so that's right. that's your problem number one. But I mean, yeah, if you're playing Philadelphia, sorry, Tyler, intern Tyler for shitting on Philly again. Mm-hmm. Like you want Joel and B shooting threes. If you're playing Milwaukee, you want Milwaukee or you want Giannis shooting threes. It would be like if you're playing Miami, like you would want, you would hope that Bam would be shooting threes, or you'd be trying to push him out there to shoot threes. But that's not yeah. what they do. They have him 15 feet and in. Because that's where he's the most effective, right? Yep. So it's like, I think the whole pace of space, and this is just what happens in sports, but especially in basketball, is there's a pendulum swing. And sometimes you just swing way too far to the side. And I think what you're saying is right. It's going to start to kind of swing back in as people start to realize the advantages of the mid-range and the the post-up. The whole thing with – here's – Wow, I'm 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 sounding so old right now, but I'm and I apologize in advance for this. The whole thing with Moneyball was not that like the Oakland A's like discovered a thing about like you have to don't swing the bat and take walks all the time. It's that they found an inefficiency. They found like a a market inefficiency mm-hmm. in the sport. For a while there, the market inefficiency in NBA was shooting threes. But mm-hmm. now everyone's shooting threes. Yep. What I saw Miami doing and what they're not afraid of doing is they're not afraid to just like, they aren't a three and layup dunk team. They are getting like Jimmy Butler, very reminiscent late nineties, early two thousands, mid post killer in the mid range. Yeah. Mid post a Tyler, Tyler hero. He's a bucket, but he's also not afraid. (laughs) He's, he's not afraid to pump fake one, two dribble short Mm -hmm. corner shot. Like they're, they also like, if I know like, 
the rule right now has been don't take these shots, but if you're wide open. Yeah, it's not a bad shot. That shot is, <laughs> I think the math needs to be recalibrated and that wide open mid-range jumper with that success right there is better than the well-contested mm-hmm. end of shot clock three. Yeah, I talked about how much Miami moves, like how much their players are moving on the court. The reality is they're just playing a much simpler brand of basketball, though. And yes. it's just get the best shot. Who the fuck cares where it is? Just get yeah. the best shot. Yeah. Oh, it's it's um it's so simple. But that your your point there, I think, unless you've unless you have more Miami thoughts. I'm, um not, not really, no. Yeah. I'm I'm th- whoever they play. I will be a superb series and yes, you're, you're kind of the, you're the, you're the, like the Western conference guru right now. I've just been really impressed with the three of the, like the now three Eastern conference teams left. I, if like, if you're pushing me, I, I think I'm willing to take all three of these Eastern conference teams that are left head to head against whoever they play in the West. I just like how they're playing basketball better all those teams are so much more balanced Miami is yeah. definitely the most balanced with probably the Raptors being the least balanced right uh, but we can get into Celtics and Raptors who played uh, according to Twitter yesterday and I would probably have to agree they played the the game of the bubble so far yes um, a double overtime thriller um, Toronto pulling it out and now forcing a game seven tomorrow I mean, you you were already kind of on a roll talking about just the Eastern Conference and, and how well they've been playing. Uh, man, this series is is really a toss up. Is anyone's ball game at this point? Yeah, it, it 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 could go either way. I'm not expecting anything in particular. I think that's the that's the beauty of the game seven, especially when it's um, a neutral a, floor. A new, it's literally a neutral floor. It's also um, it, two well-coached teams that they're, they're both excellent at what they do and they know what they do. And then granted the other team knows what they do. So it's like, if, if either Stevens or nurse has one more adjustment or has like one, one more trick up their sleeve, I'd be fascinated to see because those are the two guys who are going to bring you that, like all of a sudden, like, aha, hidden wrinkle that, that pops up there. So I, I, I can't I can't wait to watch it. I am wondering. I know a lot of a lot of ringer talk has been about like the shallow bench, let's call it, of the Raptors. Mm-hmm. The the um they are riding that starting five yeah. hard. And yeah. though on the one hand, the argument is why don't more teams do this? Like have we have we become too like minute soft? Have we become like a little, a little, little too much there. These are looking, looking at you, bud. Looking at you, coach, bud. Coach, bud. These are prof- these are professional athletes who this is their, their life's work. Like, it, again, keep things simple. You should have your best team out on the floor for as long as possible. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think Siakam, Lowry, and and Van Fleet all played over fifty minutes the other night, which is that's a lot, especially it's when incredible. We're, Especially yes. when I've been playing every other day for the past three months or however long it's been. Yep. Game sevens are, are weird because it's like adjust like the you can make those adjustments or whatever, but it's like those are game sevens are such a crapshoot. Like you just they're such a wild card. You just never know how the ball's gonna bounce that night, like who's gonna have the legs and who doesn't. I is is an interesting 
question and looking at is it going to be the Celtics who have – they got the horses to run this race. They got yes. Tatum, Brown, Kemba, like smart. They got mm-hmm. the guys needed to win this series and the talent to win this series. Yes. Versus the Rockets who have the experience, the pride. Um, they just – they've they've been in those game seven spots before. They're in their last year with uh, the Sixers. Their season last year turned around on a miracle shot at the buzzer, which happened to in game three for yep. them too. So it's it's really a toss-up, man. I really don't know who to lean towards. I'm still going to lean towards the champs, though. Yeah. I just think – and it's like – it's one of those things where it's like this could be like a 2012 OKC situation where it's like – the Celtics are young. They're 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 a little too young, but they might just still break through and get to the finals anyways. Yes. But I'm gonna trust I've been riding the Raptors since the beginning of the the series and the beginning of the postseason. I'm gonna stick with them. Uh pull out probably another nail biter down the stretch. I'm gonna agree with you. Um and I do I do wanna uh pay homage to Pascal Siakam before we end this end this podcast today. But the you and I are interested in this game, this game seven, because this seems like another in NBA history, you get these milestone games where is it the young team that is going to show their place or is it going to be the old guard that remains mm-hmm. and well, well accounted for in um, the last dance that we, we talked about for a month and a half about mm-hmm. like, the different moments where it wasn't quite Michael, like Michael almost got there. Michael almost got there. Okay. Michael didn't now, now it was his turn yeah. there. Or um, the people those... that ended up going against them later. Yes. Yeah. So is, is this that time for the Celtics? And there's only one way to find out and that's roll the ball out and, and mm-hmm. play it. It very well could be. One thing that stood out to me last night that I found interesting. I know Tatum didn't play particularly great last night, but Kemba didn't play great either, and he was the one that was running the show down the stretch for the Celtics. He made some really good plays and, and whatnot, but I feel like that's an identity issue with that team. I feel like you need – like, it is a luxury to have guys that can create and multiple options to do so, but it's like when the Nets get close to the buzzsaw, like, you need to get the ball to Jason Tatum and let him figure it out because it's like he's going to be the guy that's going to be doing that for you for the next – 10 years, hopefully. So I just thought that was interesting how Stevens has been leaning more on Kemba for those kind of things, even though this is like really the deepest playoff run he's ever had in his career. It's a good point. Um, for a vet, for a veteran player, uh, this is being one of his, one of his big time moments. That's where that experience comes in. And that's what the Raptors have. Yep, Exactly. So I think the last thing really to talk about as far as bubble news is um, COVID testing gate. I don't know. Is there, is there a name for this yet? House call? Has anyone used that yet? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> I haven't heard that specifically, but if, if I'm, sh- I'm sure it's been used, but if let's claim it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, Daniel House of the Houston Rockets, you might have noticed he's not playing tonight. The reason for that is because <laughs> He uh, is under investigation for allegedly, allegedly inviting a female uh, COVID tester into his room. So a lot going on. I saw Amina Kimes tweet with shout out to Amina that was like, oh, so the call's coming from inside the house. 
Stop it. I thought that was hilarious. That <laughs> That's was amazing. Great. That was a great tweet. Kudos to her for that. But yeah, we all expected this kind of chicanery to happen, but we were expecting yeah. someone trying to smoke with somebody inside the bubble, not so much capitalizing on what's already inside the bubble. So here's my question. Is this actually like yes. a rule violation? If if she they've said female parties already in the bubble? Well, counselor, I think you have a good. I think you have a good. Point. Like that just dawned on me just now. I'm like, That's wait, why is he in point, trouble? Counselor. Actually, <laughs> like, wow, she's, yeah. she's in the bubble. She's gonna test it as much as they are. She's a tester. She could test herself and flip, him. Yeah, flip, flip the narrative. Are, you know we're, why are we? Why are we shaming these two people? I mean, let's let's keep him under investigation for at least like another game. You know, at least because he's kind of low key important for the Rockets. He's really important for the Rockets. I can't. Yep. But after continue. that, free Daniel House. <laughs> yeah, the Rockets are down 20. And not to say that they would be, like, he's a 20-point difference. But, yeah, uh, the, the Rockets are, well, it's James Harden, Westbrook. It makes sense that this, it would happen Eric to Gordon. the Rockets. It would make sense that it would happen to the Rockets. <laughs> I think, so that's where I want to go with this, is that, of course, this happened the Rockets, man. Of course like, it did. This, this, of course this happened to the Rockets. Like, and it's, it's quite frankly, it's, it's the opposite of putting the team first. It really is. My question is, is like, what are the odds that this isn't the first time this has actually happened? It's just the first time someone's gotten caught. Cause I mean, like, uh-huh. I don't, this is just like an idea you just get right you know it's like you probably hear from like somebody else and it's like oh fucking gr smith smuggled in like five COVID testers like you know that'd be a story I, I i'd believe and then you're like oh you know let me try this out and then boom you get busted so someone has to be first someone's got to be first yeah if you ain't first you're last that's right uh so i think that that wraps it up uh you know, the go Lakers, they're they're gonna bring it home tomorrow's game seven, Raptors and Celtics, but uh probably gonna be getting into conference conference finals the next time that we talk to you folks. Uh anything else we're missing? I can't let our last point be about Daniel House. I have to talk about Pascal Siakam. I can't I can't let good cost. Free Daniel us. House. I can't, I can't let us do that. Free this man. Uh, no. <laughs> We have to end on a better note than that. And that, and that note is, uh, this is a post-game interview from Pascal Siakam. I want to say this is game, oh, wow. Um, let's four? call it four. Let's say four. Yeah, I think it's four. Right, because they tied it up. Four. Yeah. Right. And this is, I was watching the game, and he gave this post-game interview that I was so enthralled with that I texted you like, oh, my God, went back rewound and like paused play rewind pause play and i i got down like not an exact transcript of it but more or less what he was saying here and this just describes everything that you and i love about basketball and it it's the i said pascal siakam described the secret which if of course is a book of basketball bill simmons reference but um i is applicable to more than just basketball it goes to really anything that you do with people like any, any team, any job, anything like that. So it, it went something like this. Allie LaFour says, 
shots are falling. How are, how are they falling? And he says, we are moving the ball. We are taking good shots, trusting our work. We trust the work. Sometimes shots fall. Sometimes they don't. But we continue to trust the work. And then she asks, how many defenses do you guys have? Talking about like all the wrinkles that they, the, the Raptors do. I don't know a lot. I'm grateful for the coaching staff willing to switch things up. And we have guys willing to do it. Guys willing to work hard and battle every single night. We have the luxury of doing that. I like his usage there. He said luxury of doing that because of the guys who are willing to do that. So we can't take for granted um, all the schemat like all the schematics that the Nick Nurse and the he won one coach of the year of everything, but they have the luxury of doing that because of the group of guys that they have in there who understand that the hard work it takes to do all those things pays off. Even when the shots don't fall, says Pascal. And then mm-hmm. lastly, um, how do the last two wins affect your psyche and mentality? He says, it feels like we're starting over. That shot gave us our confidence. Um, tonight was a hard-fought victory against a great team, and that's what we're going to do every single night. It's not going to be easy, and we know that. It's a testament to the character of the guys that we have, guys who are overlooked, um, guys who know this is all we have. I appreciate my teammates are always being there for me. When shots are falling or not, they will always be there for me. And that's all you can ask for from teammates. And I'm grateful for that. And I'll continue to work hard. I'll promise I'll always work hard, no matter the result and the points that I score, you will always see me work hard. And I just like had to drop everything that I was doing there and write that down because that is, if, if, if nothing else, if we're looking at a complete toss up of this and not to say the Celtics don't have great team chemistry because mm-hmm. I think they do. I think they have really good stuff, but just to, to see that articulated. Like that's is, why you can't count out the Raptors yet. That's why you can't count out the Raptors. Well said. Well, that's it for another installment of shorts and goggles podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at short shorts, goggles pod. You can check us out on anchor FM, Spotify, now on Google Podcasts. We're also on Breaker, too, I think. Yeah, so Holy smokes. Know, motherfuckers are expanding. We out here. Um, feel free to hit us up on Instagram, leave comments, subscribe. Check us out. Next week, we'll get back on our regular schedule, probably talking about conference finals by then. But until next time, RJ and Kevin, we out. <laughs>